You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Right, well, it's great to be here today. Great to see you all. And, uh, you know, if you are following the Go Deeper notes or if you're following the podcast, you might notice that it was a bit different this week. Um, You know, we're not going to say anything about that, except there's a reason why Andrew's not here today. (laughs) Yeah, we just fired him. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he said, sorry, you're you're no longer part of Riverview Fellowship. You forgot to record the message once. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, currently, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and, uh, and so I would encourage you, if, if you are not sure where we're at, you can catch up with that online, um, so I encourage you to do that. Last week, Ian spoke about the exousia authority or permission, permissive authority that is given by the Spirit to the church, and, and that, that comes with the uh, dunamis power. Dunamis is the, is the word where we get the word dynamite from, or dynamic even, so that the, the Spirit of God puts into his church a power, a dynamic, explosive, loud power. We're not people of timidity if we have the Spirit of Christ in us. We're people of, of boldness and of love and of power and of a sound mind, as Paul says to Timothy. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple, then you, you are part of the church. You have responsibility to the Great Commission because Jesus has given authoritative permission for you to speak the gospel wherever you go, to, to speak the good news about Jesus with power. And if you've yielded or surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this matters to you, doesn't it? That that the gospel is held, that the gospel is spoken, that the gospel is preached, that the good news is shouted from the rooftops. When, When the spirit of the living God is given room, is yielded to in our hearts, in our lives, our desire is that he is made known. And it's the outworking power of the Holy Spirit in your life that provides you with the courage, with the wisdom, with the power, with the knowledge that you need. So you might be sitting there this morning feeling timid. That's okay. You, you might be sitting there this morning feeling powerless. That's okay. You might be sitting there this morning feeling like you don't really know what to say in a given situation. That's okay. You, you might be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I can't put the gospel into one sentence. I don't know how to do that. That's okay. Because God's promise to you is, if you yield and open your mouth, he will fill it. And he will provide you with the courage you need. Now, it might be that right up until the moment that you open your mouth, you're fearful, and the second you open it, courage flows into your body. And wisdom out of your mouth. We need to be, I'll say that differently, we need to be obedient to that commission. That was last week. This week... We're going to look at the first part of chapter 6, and I I want to ask you a couple of questions, or I want to ask a couple of questions of the text. So in this newly forming church, who is called to serve? What does that look like? And who is called to lead? And what does that look like? 
Over a, a short period of time, multitudes have joined the church. Multitudes sounds a bit ambivalent, really. What we're talking about is thousands. On day one, there were thousands added to their number, and continually since that, you can look back across the first six or five chapters of Acts, and and continually you see these little statements at the end of each section that says, and more were added, and more were added, and more were added. So by this point, there are probably around 100,000 believers, perhaps more, just in that short period of time between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 6. And now we begin to see something of a framework appearing for the administration of that dynamic power and authority and for the building of the church that would, over the next 2,000 years, grow from those few thousand or 100,000 or whatever there to incorporate millions, possibly even billions. That's amazing. And this Gamaliel, who uh, Ian referenced last week, said... You know, guys, he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, guys, don't panic. We don't like this, what they're talking about. We don't like this name Jesus that they keep raising. But if it's just about this guy who's just a man, this will die out within 100 years. This will all be forgotten. This won't go anywhere. But if it's of God, it will prevail. Well, I think 2,000 years later and a, a million or a couple of million people later, I think we can safely say there's something more to Jesus than he's just a dude who lived in history and died on a cross. <laughs> but what does this framework look like? Who should lead? Who should serve? Are leaders even needed? Is leadership structure even required? This is quite a big thing. That, and I believe this with all my heart. The framework is necessary. The framework of leadership and of servant-heartedness is necessary because... Now, I've got in this room today somebody who lectures in construction, so I better make sure that I get this right. I probably am, because when you're building a building, particularly if it's a tall building, the first thing you do is you put up a scaffolding, well, after the foundations and that, but you put up a scaffolding, because what you don't want is your builders having to sit on the previous layer of bricks and kind of precariously balance on that when they're on the 100th floor, like trying to hope they can like, ride the bricks like a horse and, and put down the next lot of bricks. You don't want that. You want your builders to be safe. You want a, a scaffold, a framework up around the building that you're building. But also, the building needs the guidance and the wisdom of the architect and the site manager. They need the architect who's going to draw up the plans and say, this is what the building looks like. But you also see the, need the site manager who's going to be there and say, right, guys, This is how we put that into practice. This is how we get that from being a piece of paper, two-dimensional, and turn it into this high-rise. It doesn't just happen by everyone turning up and going, well, I brought a trowel. Let's see what we can do. I mean, we, we demolished Margaret's shed. And we had a loose plan for that, didn't we? And it was, it was necessary to have that loose plan because, you know, I just wanted to go in with a sledgehammer and just go inside and knock out the walls. But obviously, you know, you've got a ton of, like, roof over it. If I just go inside and knock out the walls like I'm having a great day, that would be the end of Pastor Tom. <laughs> Might not be a bad thing. <laughs> there was silence. Oh... Is he going to notice? 
One of the key separations between churches, between denominations, as well as doctrine, has historically been how we build church, the structure, the structure of governance, the structure of how do we outwork this in a local or, or national setting. We have different models. We have Presbyterian, we have Congregational, we have Episcopalian, we have Moravian. I've never heard of that. But that's a model of doing church. Uh, and I might look into that. Use Wikipedia later. It's brilliant what you can do. Google, that's how I learn everything, okay? Um, and then we also have different types of titles and different types of roles. We've got elders or bishops and archbishops. We've got priests, pastors and padres. We've got vicars and we've got fathers and we've got deacons and ministers and servers. And in this church, we have senior leaders and, and ministry leaders. We have framework. But within all of this, I think there are two dominant unbiblical models that, that kind of sometimes pop their ugly little head up and they're opposing ends of, of an invisible spectrum. And I think they try to hijack the gospel and they try to hijack the church. And both these models are entirely equal in their ability to do damage to the church and to do harm to the authentic kingdom church or kingdom community. And the first is the model of hierarchy. The model of hierarchy. Now, very briefly, let me tell you what this is. Uh, it's basically where you see there's a progression or you know, levels of importance, levels of status, like a, a career ladder. Maybe, you know, people that have a hierarchical kind of idea of what church should look like would see Ephesians 4, where it's talking about some being apostles and some pastors and some teachers, some evangelists, where, where it's saying that, that you actually see it like there's a ladder here, and the goal is to get from here to apostle. You know, now imagine now I've been ordained as a pastor for two years. Now imagine that I'm thinking, right, well, maybe next I need to be recognized as a prophet. And then perhaps after I've been recognized as a prophet, I should be recognized as a teacher. So that's what I'm working towards. And then my goal, my career aim, is that one day I'll be recognized as apostle. Ooh, that sounds really good. And then maybe even if I really play my cards right and I'm a very good boy, maybe one day I can become the national leader of the apostolic church. I mean... How bad would that be if I saw church in those kind of terms? And, and some have rejected Christianity because they see top-led leadership that sit in palaces, feathers its own nest, that sits on thrones, on platforms, and demands acclaim in the eyes of men. People have left. People are suspicious of the church in many ways because of this. And, and the thing is that leadership is open to the abuse of people who are looking for power and recognition. It's open to that abuse. And, and we might think that, that, yes, okay, but that's the established church, that's the old-fashioned churches where they have, you know, this and this and this, and then finally bishops and then archbishops and, and what have you. And maybe we think, oh, that looks all a bit hierarchical. It's, it's a blight in free churches as well. It's a blight in evangelical churches as well. Perhaps more so because it's easier to be somebody in a small local fellowship. It's, a, it, it's easier to find or feel like you have some, some sense of significant importance and grandeur within a smaller 
setting. Maybe, I mean, I was told when I left primary school and was going up to secondary school, I was told you're going from being a big fish in a little sea to being a little fish in a big sea. Actually, the truth is I was always little fish because I've been this height since I was six years old. But the model of hierarchy creates an us-and-them culture. The leaders are on pedestals. And and actually, it's not just the leaders trying to grab power that may have done that. It's also congregations that have put their leaders onto a pedestal. You know, I'll be honest with you. I would love it if one day I see the podcast. It gets listened to about 15 times on average, each message. I would love it if that started to go like this and then it was... 50, 100, 200, 500, 1,000. Oh, of course I would love that. But actually, when I really think about it and when I take myself before God, I'd rather just this room and be able to speak a word of truth than have a million listeners and speak a lie. Mm-hmm. Don't, I know it's unlikely, apart from the fact that maybe just to see me because I'm short, but don't put me on a pedestal. Don't put Ian on a pedestal. Don't put Andrew on a pedestal. Don't put any of the leaders here on a pedestal. We don't want to be there. There's a difference to being up front, and there's a difference to leading from the front, but we don't want glory or acclaim for this. And when we do, and I say when we do because we're human, and every so often we love it when we get praise, when we do, we want to reject that quite quickly and say, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. The second model is anti-establishment. Now, I'm not trying to say that long word in the dictionary, anti-disestablishmentarianism. I I used to know what that meant. (laughs) I don't anymore. But anti-establishment. This is the model where people reject the idea of structure or format in church altogether, that, that any kind of human authority in the church must be bad because of the abuses of the hierarchical model. So we'll just throw the whole thing out, uh, believing that there should be something of a free-for-all, that, that there should be something without guidance or accountability. Now, I love to paintball. I love paintballing, and believe it or not, I like the pain uh, you know, of, of getting that kind of whack in your side. You're like, oh, that really hurts. Let's have some more. You know, I love that. It's, it's fun. It's exhilarating. You kind of like your heart starts pumping. You're running around this field with mask on and little paint guns. You're trying to shoot all your mates. It's amazing. I love it. But there are rules within it because Simon Morris, who's one of my best friends, and he'll be here at Christmas, so you can all like have a word with him. We were playing once, and I was squatted down behind this barrel, like, and he was on the opposing team, and I didn't know this, but he was the other side of the barrel on the opposing team on this little narrow bridge. And I was squatting there, waiting to kind of pop out and shoot somebody. And Simon just stood up and went, like that, right in the top of my head. I'm not kidding you. It's the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Crazy. I mean, honestly, I'm still waiting to get him back for that. There's rules. There has to be rules. There has to be some kind of guidance. Otherwise, everyone just gets hurt. And it all goes to pot pretty quickly. There There are rules. In our previous job, Jess and I met a ton of people running a retreat center, a ton of people who had rejected what they would call the established church. And, and that wasn't just Anglican, Catholic, Church of Scotland. It, it was anything that was organized and led in some way by men. They would reject it. They'd been hurt. There are people in this room who've been deeply hurt by church being done badly. And what do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't run away from church. 
That's, that's the devil's intention to take us out. You picture a coals in a fire. You take a coal out. You know this analogy. You take a coal out of the fire. How long before that coal is not glowing anymore and starting to get cold? It needs to be with the other coals in order to keep the fire burning. You need other people around you, like-minded. You need people who know the presence of God in their lives. You need them beside you. You cannot pull away from them. There are no Lone Ranger disciples. There are no one-man bands. There are no single-person ministries. They, they don't exist biblically. We're in this weird funk where, like, at the same time as being really special and important to God, and you can sing, I am a child of God, at the same time we have to appreciate we're not special because we're amongst a bunch of special people. I'm not special compared to Eddie, but I am special in God's sight, but so is Eddie. We can't pull away. And, and there's a school of thought that we should go back to Acts, uh, go back to living like the early church. And that sounds good. It sounds powerful. It sounds right. It sounds exciting. And honestly, in many ways, I really agree with that. Because I think if we live by the Spirit, if we move in His power, if we grasp a hold of that dunamis power and connect with what God intended for the church, I think this town has no chance for the enemy to take residence here. But I wonder if Peter and Paul walked into our churches, would they recognize what they saw? Would they look at some of our odd traditions and go, what are you guys, where did you get that from? <laughs> Would they question some of our thought processes, some of our patterns? Uh, perhaps, perhaps the established church has a lot to answer for, whatever you might think the established church means. Perhaps we have become a bit fixated through history and things like hierarchy and tradition and regulation. And I want to tell you this really loud and clear now. There's not one single denomination or one single church that has it completely figured out. It's not one. That's never missed a step. That's never been corrupted in some way, somehow, got it wrong. We have good intentions, but sometimes we act out of selfishness. Sometimes deceitfulness. Sometimes wickedness. Because... Jesus points out again and again, our hearts are really deceitful. So going back to Acts sounds good and holy, but often what is meant behind that statement isn't healthy. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes perfectly innocently, the model still separates and us and them. Hierarchy separates us and them. It's the, there's the hierarchy and then there's the, the plebs, if you like. It's an old Roman word. It means commoners, I think, you know. <laughs> There's the hierarchy, there's the commoners. And then there's this model of anti-establishment, which actually says there's the organized church, and then there's us, the real church. It's still an us and them. It's still every bit as damaging. Let's uh, turn to Acts 6, and we'll have a look. So I think both of those extremes, hierarchy and anti-establishment, are provably wrong in today's text. And So we'll just have a, a quick look at that, and it's going to pop up on the screen. Acts 6, uh, starting at verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. And by the way, racial discrimination is not a new thing. 
even in a closed kind of community. They're all Jews, but some of them speak Greek and some of them are Hebrew. <laughs> and they, they're having a conflict with each other. And actually, the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, they're being left behind in the distribution of food and things like that, in the care that should be coming to them. Uh, and it's not demonstrating this new humanity that Jesus has come to redeem us into. Anyway, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution, by the way, that word is diaconai, uh, which is where we get the word deacon from, uh, of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait, again, diaconai, uh, on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, basically of good repute uh, and full of the Holy Spirit, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. That's nice. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and also uh, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, uh, Nicholas, from Antioch, and I think I got through those names pretty well, a convert to Jerusalem, uh, to Judaism, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands upon them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, that is guys from the temple, um, became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Amen. So I want to point out you don't get hierarchy from this text. Really quickly, look at this. Verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Not because it was beneath them, like it was below their status, too menial, not because it was above their ability, like their capabilities and practical things didn't really exist, too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use, not because of that, but because it was beyond their reasonable capacity. They had other things that they were called to do, in other words. Their capacity was supposed to be focused on preaching of the word, of prayer, of the gospel. That was their number one priority, not doing practical tasks. So it wasn't below them, like, that's beneath me. You should clean the toilets, not me. I'm the pastor. I shouldn't have to clean toilets. Not that. And not, I haven't got the skills to clean the toilets, so you should do that because you're better at cleaning toilets than me. But actually, I, I, I shouldn't have time. <laughs> that's what it is. I should be so focused on the gospel, so focused on the word, so focused on prayer, that I do not have the capacity. And that's what the apostles were saying. It's not hierarchy. And those called uh, diaconus had not pushed themselves to the front either. They were chosen out of the multitude, out of the thousands that were there. They were chosen. They didn't go, oh, I want to be a leader. <laughs> can, I, can I please join your leader club? Can I be a deacon, please? They didn't do that. They were chosen. They were selected based on a couple of points. It wasn't based on class, it wasn't based on status, it wasn't based on education or skill or wealth or resolve or popularity. It was based upon three things. Number one, good repute. They had a good reputation. They were known to be good, upright people. Number two, 
full of the Holy Spirit. You recognize somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. They are different. And full of wisdom. Three things. Good reputation is different from popularity. You can be a horrible person and be very popular. Different from celebrity. No divas in the diaconate. (laughs) Okay. Good reputation. Known to be a good person. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And, And sometimes we get the mistaken idea that deacons or diaconess are all about function and not about spiritual leadership. That's for the upper level of leadership in the church. No. Deacons are supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And Ian's going to probably touch on this a bit more next week. Maybe? Possibly? He is now. (laughs) We shouldn't consider somebody a deacon just because they're good at something or because they're hardworking or because we like them. Because they'll get the practicalities done. You know, Yes, there's bricks and buildings and toilets and tables and things like that. There are needs that need to be met in order for a church to function. But the people who lead those things need to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and of good reputation. So while you don't get hierarchy from this text, there is a a definitive role of biblical leadership that is tasked to the apostles and another type of role that is tasked to the deacons. The roles are very different in the same way that my hands and my feet are very different. They have different functions, but I need them both. 1 Corinthians uh, 12:18 on the screen says this, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, um, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, Get this, there's no pastor who is a complete body. He's just a part of a body. He might be a hand, he might be a foot if you want to take it down that kind of path. But there's no pastor in this world, apart from the good shepherd, who is complete, everything you need in the church. There are no one-man bands. There there, there should never be a one-man-led church, ever, ever. You might have a point person, you might have a a lead pastor, but the whole responsibility of the church does not rest on their shoulders, uh, and they do not get the right from God to govern like it's theirs. Then the other anti-establishment, you don't get this from the text either, because you don't get free-for-all, you don't get everyone should just be in church leadership, you don't get this kind of reject structure and authority thing from this text. Every member has a role to play, but the roles and the functions are different. When you're hurt by poor leadership, the temptation is to reject leadership. When you've seen church structure done badly, the temptation is to reject all church structure. The structure isn't man-given. The structure's God-given. And it's not very explicit on exactly how that should be. That's why there's very different types of church, different models of how to do church. But there should be a a level of authority and accountability within every church. And you get that from this text. In many ways, we're all leaders in the kingdom. That's true. But not everyone is called to or appropriate for specific leadership within the church. That's what we're seeing here. They're not inferior. They're not less skilled 
not even necessarily less holy. Do you think those seven were the only people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and with a good reputation out of the 100,000 or so? Of course not. Not everyone was called into that. Not everyone was commissioned for that. 1 Corinthians 12.29 says this, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gift. So here's something I want to release in this room today. Because you might not be called to be an apostle. You might not be called to be a prophet. But still, desire those gifts. Because we want them in operation in this church. You don't, you don't have to be recognized as a prophet in order to prophesy when the Spirit of God moves upon you. There, there was a wonderful moment in a prayer meeting a few weeks ago where Ian gave a tongue. And it was, it was a really beautiful tongue. And I've had Ian speak in tongues before, but normally it's quite a personal thing. Or it's when he's singing and it's just between him and God. But this was louder. This was a proclamation kind of thing. It was different to when Ian normally talks in tongues. And we sat quietly because we should always wait for an interpretation. And if none comes, it should come from the person who spoke the tongue. But there was an interpretation, and it was Graham who brought that. And Graham's never done that before. I want to release you guys to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't just operate in them. Desire. Desire. Be a church on fire here. Be a church on fire. It requires you. Yes, you. You know, General Kutcher or whatever his name was. You know, your country needs you. The kingdom needs you. The kingdom requires you to play an active role in it. So as I wrap up, if you don't get hierarchy or anti-establishment, free-for-all, who is called to serve and who is called to lead? If you're writing things down, write this down. All leaders should serve, and all servers should lead. All leaders should serve, and all servers should lead. It works both ways. Every one of you should be a leader. Leaders in your family, leaders in work, leaders in your community, leaders of yourself. Lead yourself into God's presence. Lead yourself into his presence. Get before him. Lead yourself to get on your knees before him daily. You'll grow. You will grow. So every one of us needs to lead in some way, in some capacity. But who should be a leader? Leadership is not about anything other than God calling. Nothing else. There are people in this room who are way more equipped for this than me. Uh, and even in, our, even in the, the pastors here... <laughs> Ian's a far better teacher than me. Andrew's a far better pastor, actually, than me. He's pastoral. He's got a pastoral heart. He's far better at that than me. I'm just better looking. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my best assets is how humble I am. Leadership is not a badge of honor because we like somebody. Leadership is not based on skills. It's not based on long service. You've been around long enough. We better give you a role or a title. It's not based on career progression, like you start with this and then you move up to this. 
Um, I'm not going to ask people who are going to be in the band, please, would you start by cleaning toilets for a few weeks first, and then we'll introduce... I might ask them to clean toilets with me. In fact, I've been toying with this. When when somebody joins ministry, uh, particularly upfront ministry here, I might just say, yeah, I want to chat to you about it first. Why don't you meet me at church, roll your sleeves up, and, and the two of us will go into the toilets, we'll get the bleach out, and we'll give it a good clean. Because if you're not prepared to do that, you're not right to be up here. In fact, my old pastor Dom said this. He said, if you're, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you can't roll your sleeves up and put your hand down a toilet, you can't be up on this platform because you're not the right person. <laughs> should I work on my evangelism and hope to be recognized as an evangelist? Should, it, should I look at myself and work on my teaching and hope that one day I get recognized as a teacher or learn to prophesy that I might get recognized as a prophet or work on my people's skills, the appearance of caring that somebody could actually see me as a pastor? No, it's about God calling. It's about God calling. And how do we know it's God? I've met loads of people convinced that God has called them to do this or that. How do we really know? How do you really know? Every... When I was younger, every young guy seemed to play a guitar and feel called to lead worship. We can't all be worship leaders. That would be crazy. We can't all be acoustic guitar players. Where are the bass players? How does it work? How do we know? Because the person is full of the spirit and wisdom to be a leader. Discernible character. Character that's not maverick. Character that's not self-promoting. Character that's not out of control. And the, and the key thing is that others need to recognize it too. They, they ask the multitudes to choose the seven. Now maybe that's not going to work. That, that was early days of the church. There was, there, there was a lot of real intense holiness in that early church in over 2,000 years. Like sometimes to ask a congregation who should be a leader over this church, you're going to get a popularity contest. You're not going to get biblical leadership out of that. So you cannot say that's the the model for selecting deacons in the church. You cannot. Because the people choosing need to be holy in order to choose wisely. But others recognize a gift and a call on your life and they'll testify it. And I'm not talking about just your mates down the pub or your mum because she loves you anyway and she'll say nice things about you all the time. But people who maybe even are already in positions of authority or positions of trust, recognized, wise, discerning people and often required as people with courage because you've got to take a, a long shot at somebody, take a punt and say, yes, I see something in you that's raw uh, and I believe God's calling it out and I, I, so I'm going to take a, a risk because I feel the spirit of God saying something here and I'm going to place you into a position of leadership at risk. Do we get it wrong? Do some people become leaders who God never intended? Probably. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm certain of it. You know, the Bible says, David says of Saul, you know, I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. That's good. But how do we know that somebody is the Lord's anointed? There are false teachers out there. Do some people get overlooked whom God hasn't appointed? Rarely. Honestly. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm always getting overlooked for leadership and I really should be a leader, ask yourself the question, if it's been that long and if it's been in a few different churches or whatever and you're still not being recognized, ask yourself, is that really what God wants from me? Is that really what God has for me? 
And it may be. Remember what Gamaliel said, if it's God, it will succeed. And sometimes it takes longer than we want. It takes jumping more, uh, through more hoops than we want. And, and it, and it may, may look completely different when we get on the other side of it than we expected. But it's all part of God's perfect planning, his perfect training program for you. For some of you, I've said already, I was years from coming out of Bible college until I became a pastor. Years. And all the whole time I, I was thinking, oh, come on. I should be a pastor by now. It was only when I gave up that idea that somebody came up to me out of the blue and said, you're a pastor. (laughs) Okay. And then Riverview came up out of the blue. It was God's training program, his timing. So who should be serving? And I'm really going to wrap this up quick uh, now. Who should be serving? There were only seven chosen here, despite several thousand people in the church at this point. Not everyone's called to the function of leadership, Specifically, but everyone is called to serve. No deviation, no ex- exceptions. All leaders should serve and all servers should lead. Ultimately and finally, the issue with both of these models, hierarchy and anti-establishment, is that they both pull away from the beautiful, yet often flawed, church. And the church is God's plan for the salvation of this town. It is his hands and feet. We are his people. We are his body. There is no plan B here. Church rise up, boneless celebrate. Church stay quiet, boneless lost to darkness. We're all called to serve, to carry the hope of Jesus Christ into this world. Someone else said this. If you, yeah, come on up, guys. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If I have an idea in my head of what this church needs to look like and I don't tell anyone and I just try to keep like pushing things through and changing things and you know, I'll be able to change things real quick. It doesn't mean that you guys would be happy. And it doesn't mean that it would last. But if we do this together, if we all get it, then we go far. And what we want to encourage from you in 2020 is to be a missional church, to be an invitational church, to bring people, to invite people, to be vocal, to be engaged. Because this is his church. And we're called to lead and we're called to serve, but it's his church. So Father, we thank you Firstly, God, I thank you that the authority doesn't lie with us. The authority lies with the King of Kings and that he has tasked us to outwork that in this world, tasked us to go into the world and make disciples. Lord, help us to do that with every ounce of energy that we have. Help us to to give our lives to the making of disciples in this town uh, and to the raising up of each other's expectations in Christ. Lord, we all have a part to play. All of us are part of this body, different parts, and help us to figure out how to be those parts together. And Lord, help us not if we're hands to try to be feet and if we're feet to try to be ears, but help us to be who you've called us to be because above all of that, above every function, above every purpose, you've called us to be children of God first. You've called us to be yours, to be human beings rather than human doings. God, your heart for us is that we are loved by you and that that love transforms us And as you transform us, 
this town gets transformed because your love is given room to move here. Help us, Lord, in your name to do this well for your glory, not for our reputations, but for the King of Kings in this land. In Jesus' name, amen.